The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write these words, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this, I know your deeds, you have a name, you are alive, but you're dead. If you write in your Bibles, you might want to underline that section. You're alive, but you're dead. We entitled this morning's message, The Dying Church, the church at Sardis. Wake up, he says, and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard, and keep it, and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you, but... You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are, they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, as we have come together this morning, we have worshipped you in song. We have worshipped you around the table We've worshipped you for the freedom we enjoy as a nation, the freedom we have in Christ. And now, Father, would you take your word and would you impress our hearts with it and change our lives with it. Help us to be doers, not just hearers of the word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sometimes life can be a struggle. It's a struggle, especially if you have young kids at times and uh, you have to um, wrestle with them. A mother was uh, wrestling with how to break the news to her four-year-old that while she was away at preschool, the family's pet cat had died. And so she sat down and had cookies and milk with her four-year-old daughter, and she said, sweetie, I've got to tell you something. Our tabby uh, died, and she's now in heaven. The little girl looked at her mom thoughtfully and said, why would God want a dead cat? Sometimes life can be a struggle if you got little kids. I love the story of the little boy who was, uh, he was about eight years old. He was practicing piano. Salesman came to the door, knocked on the screen door, and uh, he looked back at the salesman, and he kept practicing. And finally, the salesman said, uh, Sonny, is your mom here? And he looked back at him and said, what do you think? <laughs> struggle. Sometimes life is struggle. The church in America is struggling. You may not realize that you look around churches like TBC or maybe First Baptist Temple, First Baptist Belton, the Vista, and our community churches that are all thriving, but the reality of it is a church in America is struggling. Church in America is in trouble. Here, here are some statistics for you. Approximately 3,600 churches in the United States close their door every year. That's 300 churches a month. That's 10 churches every day. There are 35% less churches in America today than there was in the year 1960. Church in America struggling. In the 1930s and 40s, we built huge churches in downtown areas, and most of those churches have shrunk in size. They've become more of museums than they are places of worship. In fact, the largest decline in churches in America has been within denominational churches, some of them experiencing over 50% drop in membership in the last generation. Church in America struggling. The average size in the church in America, do you know what it is? about 100 people on a Sunday. Church in America struggling. 10 churches every day closing their doors. That means every day we have to plant 10 new churches just to break even in America. That's just America. That's not around the world. It's just where we sit, right where we are. Church in America is in trouble. 
As I was studying for this message on the book of Sardis, one person called the church in America, as well as the church in Sardis, a marg with a steeple on top. So it's a marg, it's a dead place, but it's got a steeple on top. In fact, if you look at verse 1 here, that's exactly what he says. I, I know your deeds, I know your name, I know you're alive, but you're really dead. You're really dead. You're, you're not really alive. And it's a battle. The church in America is in trouble. One of my professors at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, came back from a weekend ministry. He said, gentlemen, he said, I spoke at a church much like this, a church with a cemetery around the outside, church on the inside. He said, I had to walk through the Alumni Association to get to the undergraduates on the inside, and I'm not sure which group was dead and which group was alive. I mean, it's a battle. I mean, you hope and you hope and you hope that something's going to happen inside some churches, but it never does. Uh, the title of my favorite book, you guys know what it is by now, Everybody's Normalty, Get to Know Him by John Ortberg. And John Ortberg writes these words in his book. He says, I assume you're like me. I can get itchy skinned and scratchy throated after an hour or so at church. I can get distracted and cranky when it goes too long. My feet ache, my backside numbs, my eyes glaze over, my mind fogs, my belly growls. I find myself fighting back a yawn and eventually wanting to give in to sleep. And I'm the pastor. I mean, there are days, actually, I'm up here and I'm thinking, man, I wish that guy would shut up and it's me speaking. It's like, I, I, I'm circling, circling, circling. I need to land the plane, but I'm not sure how to get it into the airport. And it's like, man, I don't know if I can take this any longer. Just, you know, it's time to get out of here. Hopefully it doesn't happen too often at TBC, but let's be honest, it happens any place, anywhere we go on occasion. Church in America is struggling. We're, we're in vast decline. There are issues within any church, our church, any other church, and by God's grace, we still exist. It's a miracle that the church exists at all. It's a miracle that we're here. So how does TBC not become a marg with a steeple on top? How does your life not become a marg with a steeple on top? How do you not become the living dead? I mean, that's what we're going to look at this morning. I think the church at Sardis will help us answer that question. The words of Christ to the church at Sardis. Well, as we've been looking at the seven uh, churches of Asia Minor, we saw that John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. That's where he received the revelation. We looked at the church of lost love, the church at Ephesus, and Smyrna, then Pergamum, then Thyatira. The last two weeks we took breaks, and now we're back to the church at Sardis. Sardis is about 30 miles south and east of Thyatira. Uh, Sardis was a community, a city that was known by its past. You see, there was a heyday in the past, but currently it was struggling. There was a time when Sardis was a relevant city, a significant city, but now everything was in the past. It had seen its, it's, seen its heyday in the past. It'd be much like Detroit in our nation, a community that was a tremendous community, manufacturing, uh, economically prosperous, doing really well. But now when you hear Detroit, you think of decline, you think of decay, you think of bankruptcy, you think of murder. Sometimes you think of the tigers and lions, but not often. They're teams. But here's the reality. Sardis is like that. Sardis is a place that uh, once was great, but no longer it is. Uh, Sardis was a place that looked a little bit like this. These are some of the ancient ruins of Sardis. This is one of the buildings there. Uh, this place is rather significant. It's the, some of the remains uh, of the temple of uh, Sybil. Sybil was a mother goddess. The worship of Sybil involved sexual orgies, men and women. It involved uh, the, the abuse of children. And all this was called worship somehow. And so whenever you went to Sardis, you were faced with debauchery, immorality, uh, all types of abuses. 
And that's the society that the church at Sardis was introduced to. So a church is birthed in the midst of the sinful, debased place. That's where the small church at Sardis has to survive. They're in trouble. They're surrounded by the muck. They're surrounded by the mud of their society. It's kind of like Daniel, who was in Babylon. And surrounded by all the sinful stuff. If you look at this picture here, that's the church at Sardis. Church at Sardis was just surrounded by muck, surrounded by mud, surrounded by the society it was in. It's much like we are sometimes in our culture in our day and age. We wrestle with that around us. But like Daniel, who was in Babylon, but Babylon was not in Daniel, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Many of you are surrounded by unbelieving friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors. You're called to be part of their lives, but you're called to be different than them. You're called to be a representative of Jesus wherever you go because the gospel has changed your life and you want to introduce them to the Savior whom you know and whom you love. And so the reality of it is sometimes we're surrounded by the muck and the mire of, of the world we live in. It was uh, Will Rogers who said, if you wrestle with the pigs, you're going to get muddy. And he's right. So we are called to live an unstained life in a stain-filled society. That's how we're called to live. And so when Paul, when, well, not Paul, when Jesus speaks to the church at Sardis, he speaks to them in this way. It, one of the, this is what modern-day Sardis looks like. It's in uh, Turkey. It's called the it's, uh, name of the town is Stort, S-T-O-R-T. You can Google it up, take a look at it. Just Google up ancient Sardis. It's there. Uh, it's a community of about 15,000 Muslims. Uh, to my knowledge, I tried to do some research on it. I couldn't find anything of a Christian witness in this community. Couldn't find anybody planting churches in this particular community. Couldn't find anything of any believer in this, in this, in this particular community. So the church at Sardis eventually died, went away, and the Christian witness was gone. That's Sardis. The dying church that ultimately did die. Well, Jesus begins most of his letters with a commendation, with a commendation. You've got to drop all the way to verse 4 to find a commendation here. This is a church that struggled. This is a church that had lots of activity, lots of things going on, but they were struggling. Its glory days were in the past. So if you drop down to verse 4, he says, but a few of you people in Sardis have not soiled your garments. You walk with me in white. You will walk with me in white because you're worthy. So the commendation is that some of you are still pure. Some of you are still clean. Some of you are not embracing the ways of the world. So when Jesus looks at the church in Sardis, he says, most of you, most of you are stained, but some of you are unstained. Now, what does that mean? I mean, he's not talking about tied on their toga, is he? I mean, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying some of you have not embraced the ways of the world. Some of you are still pure to your spouses. Some of you are still faithful to your spouses. Some of you are, are not involved in morality. Some of you are, are, are serving the Savior. Some of you are walking with him, honoring him. Some of you, have you, you're embracing the word. You're walking with the Savior day after day. You are unstained by the world around you. One of the tragedies in the 20 and 21st century in the church is that we have become stained by the world. The, 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 the divorce rate within the church is much like that outside the church. The use of things like pornography inside the church is lower than outside, but not much. And so we see that the church, by and large, has been affected by the world, maybe more so than us affecting the world. So he says, here's my commendation. Some of you are unstained. Now here's what's interesting. The worship of Sybil in Sardis, in this, this mother goddess, 
It involved the wearing of white robes. And so if you go back and do a little research on Sybil and Sardis, what you find is that you had to show up wearing the right clothes or otherwise you wouldn't be admitted to the temple. So it was all about external things. It was all about wearing the right things on the outside. But it was an immoral, debased, pagan worship that took place. Because when you're concerned about the outside, not the inside, that's what happens. You see, all that's reversed in Christianity. Christ came to set our hearts free. Christ came to set us free from sin and condemnation. And so what we see is a total different, totally different emphasis. The emphasis is now upon the heart of man, not the externals. And so he says, I have, I, some of you have not soiled your garments. You still walk with the Savior, you still honor the Savior. Now, God has called us to live in the world, but not be of the world. So we're, we're going we're to be in it. We just spent uh, part of last week in Disney World in Orlando with our grandkids. Four of our grandkids. It was a great time. It was a glorious time, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. But, but it's a fantasy world. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning. You go to a hotel. Everybody has smiles on their face. What can I do for you? How can I help you? There's no trash anywhere. I mean, it's a fantasy world until you cut in line in front of somebody, and that fantasy ends pretty quickly, actually. But, but other, otherwise, it's a fantasy world. Then you get to the airport, and reality sets in. I mean, this is, we're not in Disney anymore. I mean, we're, we're not there anymore. We're, we're in reality. We're facing people, and people are shoving and pushing and long lines in the airport, especially after what was happening in Paris and all this stuff. And I mean, it's just, it's just total chaos. That's the world we're called. We're not called to live in Disney. We're not called to live in the Magic Kingdom or the Animal Kingdom or Epcot or whatever. We are called to live in the world as followers of Christ. That's why he's left us here, to impact his kingdom to make an impact for his kingdom. And he says, the commendation is this. Some of you, in fact, it specifically says a few people have not soiled their garments. Some of you walk with Christ. Some of you honor Christ. But the majority of you, and here comes the condemnation, the majority of you are the living dead. What? The majority of you, you're alive, but you're really dead. Look at what he says. He says, I know your deeds. I, I, I know that you have a name. That's their reputation. That's what men thought about them. I, I know that you're alive. That means they are busy with activities. They're doing things. That's, that's what men see. But he says, you're dead. That's what the Lord sees in them. You see, men see a place that's busy. Men see a place with activity. Men see a place with a reputation. That's what a name means. But the reality of it is you're dead. You're dead. You are a living dead man. You're a living, dead church. You're a morgue with a steeple on top. Now, by God's grace, uh, this is a warning, really. By God's grace, I've had the privilege to do this for many, many years, 34 years at TBC. And I, I've seen a lot of things over the years. Let me tell you three things that I see that'll kill a church or even kill an individual. Three things that'll kill a church or kill an individual. Number one, when we do mission apart from the gospel. When we do mission apart from the gospel, when we have activities apart from the gospel, when we do things apart from the gospel. One author writes these words, to fill empty bellies, to build shelters for the homeless, to put silver and gold in the cups of beggars without any concern for their eternal nature is an exercise of futility. Our hope should always be in the gospel. Now, if you were with us in September, we spent a whole month talking about justice. 
And justice is important. We need to be on a mission for those who are poor. We need a mission for poverty in our community, a mission for the unborn, a mission for those who are unwanted. That, that's a mission we need to be about. But that mission, apart from the gospel, is humanitarianism. It's moralism. The gospel is what changes people. You, you want the cure for terrorism, the cure for ICE? You want the cure for, for educational inequalities, for socioeconomic inequalities? You want the cure for all the various ailments of our society? The cure is in the gospel. That's what changes lives. That's what changes communities. That's what changes nations. And so we're always going to lift up the banner of Jesus and the gospel. But what I see, churches that die, number one, they, lose, they, they, they substitute mission for the gospel or they do mission void of the gospel. Number two, there's doctrinal drift and compromise. Doctrinal drift and compromise. You see these churches that were built in downtown areas, many of them were denominational churches, and they have left the moorings that they were part of, the foundation that was a part of their beginnings. They've drifted into areas where they deny the truth of the word of God. They deny the truth of who Jesus is. They're the churches that are wrestling with, do we do same-sex marriages, do we not? Those are issues the Bible clearly states how we should respond to. But because of their drift away from sound doctrine, teachings of the scriptures, that now what you find are mostly museums or mausoleums. When we begin to drift doctrinally from the truth of the word of God, it's easy for us to become a mark with a steeple on top. When we do mission apart from the gospel, we become a mark with a steeple on top. And thirdly, the third thing that I see, my observation from looking at these things, and I think it goes right along with what he says. He says, I, I know you have a name. So basically, they're depending upon their past and not looking to the present or the future. When a church begins to worship its reputation, when a church begins to look at the past, when a church will not change with the culture, when, when a church will, 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 not, will always look at the past and honor it and never look ahead, and say the best days were ahead of us, that church begins to die. It's my prayer that TBC will never be that way. My prayer is that one day I'll be in glory looking down generations from now and seeing you, the younger people here, leading the charge for, for the gospel right where we are. I, I'm grateful that God is raising up other churches in our community that are doing great jobs. For years, TBC was really the, the church that was growing and growing and growing, and not many other churches were. But now we're, now we're building his kingdom, not a kingdom. And so the reality of it is that we all have an opportunity in our communities to impact many for Jesus. We get an opportunity to impact a region for Jesus. It, being a smaller community and now having several large churches, it's a great opportunity for us to bind together, to come together and see the banner of Jesus flown high. It's a problem when a church begins, I, I, am, I, am, I am grateful for the history of TBC. After 34 years of being here, I, there are faces in my mind, people have gone on to glory, pe people who, who we stand upon their shoulders, people who were generous with their service, generous with their with their silver, generous with their, with their time. They, they were generous in many ways. And I'm grateful for those folks. But I pray the best days are ahead of us. I, I pray that you young people who are with us today, college students with us today, those of you that stick around in Central Texas, I, I pray for these young boys and girls sitting here. I pray one day we'll be the old folks. Well, I am an old folk now, but we'll, we'll be looking and saying, look at what God is doing. Look what he's doing that the best days were ahead of us, not behind us. Because the church in Sardis, he says, you got a name, but you're dead. So what's the solution? What's the cure? 
How do you get past this thing if you're dying spiritually? First thing he says is, wake up. Wake up. Three of you just jumped out of your skin right there. I mean, if you look at what the text says, underline in your Bible, verse 2, he says, wake up, strengthen what remains. It's time to wake up. Max Licato writes, if all the people who sleep in church were put end to end, they'd be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> He's right. Chuck Swindoll writes about sleeping in church. He says this, he says, I've seen people bump their heads on the back of the pew in front of them. I've heard people snore out loud. I saw one man who stayed seated when everyone else stood up, another guy who stood up when everybody else was seated. I've seen one guy drool in his Bible. I saw another guy drop his Bible, then jump when it hit the floor, and he was the only one that stood up. I've seen more bruised ribs in church than any place I've ever spoken. I've watched couples nod in magnificent rhythm and harmony, perfect timing, while they snored through one of my sermons. There was one lady in my church in California. She had the strangest wheeze and smile when she exhaled while snoring that she looked like a chimpanzee that was chattering the whole time. Jesus says to the church at Sardis and I think to the church at America, time to wake up. Time to wake up. Time for us to be awake. See, many would say the church is in deep slumber. And honestly, one of my fears for TBC is the same thing. I don't know another church anywhere that has as long-tenured long tenured staff members as we do. 30-plus years, 20-plus years, 20-plus years, on and on and on. And it's easy to become comfortable. It's easy for us to rest upon our laurels in the past rather than been seeking what God's doing in the future. You know, if there's anything I get asked often, so Gary, what's changed in your life in the last two and a half years? Well, besides only having one eye, um, a lot's changed. And the one thing that's changed more than anything else is an urgency. When your name is on a death certificate, it creates, I hope it creates, it has in me, creates an urgency for the gospel. And so I, I'm on a mission. I've been on a mission, but I'm more so on a mission now to make sure that any and every opportunity we have, the name of Jesus is lifted up. And so one of the reasons, you've been so generous to allow me to go place after place after place this year, and one of the reasons we're doing that is because I've been grounded for two years up until this year. And now by God's grace, we have opportunities to preach the gospel through you. And one day we'll all be in heaven again, and we'll be celebrating folks who've come to Christ because of your generosity of our time. And I don't know about you, but I want to be on an urgent mission for the gospel of Christ. Hey, you could have been in a restaurant in Dallas. Maybe it wasn't Paris. Maybe it's Dallas next time. Maybe it's Austin next time. Maybe it's, I saw Kalina's on some hit list. Maybe you're having dinner and all of a sudden you're gone. I want to go out in a blaze of glory for the gospel. Nothing else. What about you? So he says, wake up, wake up. Then the next thing he says is remember and obey. Remember where you've come from and obey. He, he says, keep these things. Remember the things you've been taught and keep them is what he says. So if, if you want to get right with God, you want to be a marg with a steeple on top. He says, remember where you are. You remember when you first came to faith in Christ? 
Remember when that happened? You remember how excited you were about your faith in Christ? He says, you, you need to remember those days. You remember those early teachings. You need to remember how you were growing, how excited you were, how you're a man of the word, a woman of the word, a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, how, how you were willing to serve Christ anytime, anywhere, how you were generous, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, you need to remember those early days and the early teachings, and you need to obey them. You need to call them to mind, you need to obey them. You need to walk with the Savior that way. He says you need to repent. If you look at the next verse, he says you also need to repent. Now, he, he says that in the middle of verse 3. He says repentance needs to happen. There needs to be a wake-up call. There needs to be remembering and obeying. There needs to be repentance. And if you do that, you'll receive an everlasting reward. Look at what he says. For they will walk with me, this is the end of verse 4, in white for they are worthy. He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And you see, if you worshiped in Sardis and you worshiped Sybil, who was his mother goddess, you had to get your own clothes. You had to put your own clothes on. You had to make sure they were clean. You had to make sure they weren't soiled. And he says, no, 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 no. In my economy, it's all by grace. I'm going to clothe you. I'm the one who makes your heart white. I am the one who makes you cleansed. I, I, I'm the one who cleanses you. I'm the one who makes you clean. I am the one who does these things for you. It's not you doing something for me. It's me doing something for you. So in Sardis, they had to do something to earn the approval of their God. This is a God who says, no, I'm going to take care of all of it for you. All you have to do is trust me. That's it. And we should go, wow, God's grace. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Sounds like a pretty good song, huh? Amazing Grace. Put that together. <laughs> he says you need to wake up, repent and obey. You need to remember. And when you do, you'll have everlasting rewards. He says, I'm going to clothe you in white. Then look at what he says in the middle of verse 5. I will not erase his name from the book of life. And so he says, aha! I knew that, Gary. You've been teaching us the whole time about eternal security. You've been teaching us that once we come to Christ, we can't lose our salvation. The, the doctrine of once saved and always saved, some call it. And here it says God has an eraser. He can take our name out. You see, I, I thought that couldn't happen, but is that what he's really saying there? I think he's saying the opposite of that. See, in the ancient world, in the Roman world, if you, were, if you did something for your community, if you did something that was uh, over the top, if you did something to, to, to receive praise over, they, they actually kept a role and they would write your name in this book. But if you did something, if your name was in the book and you did something to defame your community or something criminal or something that was illicit, then your name would be erased from that book. And the church in the first century has undergone persecution and they're having to live in the midst of this muck and all this sin and all this mud. And he says, I want you to know, you follow me? You don't have to worry about your name being erased. They may do that in your community and they may do that in your city and they may do that in the town hall in Sardis and in Ephesus and Smyrna and Thyatira, but in my economy, that never happens. There is no eraser on God's pencil. You may have to worry about that in your community, but you don't have to worry about that with me because you have an everlasting reward with me. Don't be a living dead person. See, for some of us, for some of us, we are. Oh, we're alive. We've got a name. We've got a reputation. We're doing deeds and we've got activities. 
But spiritually, we've drifted pretty far. Spiritually, we are like the city of Sardis. Their heyday was behind them, not present or the future. There was a time you might say, I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to. But the call to, from Christ is this. Don't make it about yesterday. Make it about today and tomorrow. So for some of us, today's a day of repentance. It's a day of saying, God, I'm the woman who used to. God, I'm the guy who used to. For some of you, quite frankly, you're not even alive yet. You don't know the Savior. There's a call today for you to trust Christ as your Savior so you might have eternal life. And for each of us, there's a call to represent our Savior well because there's an everlasting promise, an everlasting reward. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to be is a marg with a steeple on top. Mark Twain, who there was his pen name, his real name was Samuel Clemens, as you know, wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. We spent about uh, 26 hours in, on Tom Sawyer Island at Disney World this week chasing four grandkids in a morning. It was about 26 hours long. But Tom Sawyer, not Tom Sawyer, Huck, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, Mark Twain is who I'm trying to say. <laughs> the real guy, the guy who wrote the books. He died, and I quote, lonely, unhappy, and hopeless. All his fame, all his money, one of the greatest authors ever, by his own admission, he died Lonely, unhappy, and hopeless. You see, he had many struggles in life. His younger brother died in a steamboat accident when he was 20 years old. He blamed himself for that. He had a son, a young son, who died when he was a baby. He had two daughters who died, one from diphtheria, one from meningitis. One at 23 years old, one at 29 years old. But instead of turning to God, Twain became bitter and pessimistic. At 74, he wrote those words. He was desperately lonely, unhappy, and hopeless. He was alive, but he was dead. Through the gospel and through Jesus, regardless of your circumstance, you don't have to be a marg with a steeple on top. You can be alive and living for him regardless of the world around you. Father, that's our prayer. We don't want to be living dead people. We don't want TBC to be a place that is like Sardis. Our desire, Father, is to be alive. Our desire is to see Christ lifted up. Our desire is to see the Savior glorified. If you're here today and you're not sure if Jesus is your Savior, that's where this journey begins. That's how you become alive. When you place your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sin, he gives you eternal life and abundant life.
And if you have to look at your life right now and say, I used to, I used to, I used to. Like Sardis, your best days are behind you, not now or in front of you. Did you make this morning a morning of confession? Morning where you turn to the Savior and say, Lord Jesus, my desire, my desire to be fresh with you today and every day. Father, thank you for meeting us here at this time, in this place. We pray we'd be doers of the word, not merely hearers. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.